I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. <laughs> for Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, and your audio bubble for today. Whether you're new to the show or you have broken out with us before, we're still the same irreverent, though genial, non-gatekeeping, just straight-talking show for everybody, whichever decade or century you started watching, reading, or listening along to the astonishing adventures of the Time Lord, our hero, Doctor Who. We talk about it all on this show. All and any viewpoints are encouraged and heard, and we've even been known to have the odd laugh or two along the way. So come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey together here with us on Type 40. Although I've been holed up <laughs> behind bars here since the last recording session. Everybody's a critic, aren't they? <laughs> Help is at hand with the return of the time agent, the true believer himself, Kyle Wagner. I knew I could rely on you to get me out of this one. Well, you know, I try, but I, I gotta say, when you said you were regenerating the podcast, you went all in because you've got two new companions here. Brand new voices, yeah, because the last time on Type 40, we were back in the present day. We talked and talked and, and talked our way through that latest season, Series 12, last year. And I think we sort of burnt Simon and Sarah out. <laughs> but yeah, the whole idea is that we can bring new voices through and have new conversations to surprise ourselves and to hear, to hear new viewpoints and new takes on things. And also for you to out there listening. So you don't just get the same sort of uh, remixed opinions over and over and over again and Doctor Who is blessed with a, a wide variety of fans from all over the world and all ages and yes we've uh, dipped into the time vortex here to pull out two likely suspects. Let me just put it this way there could be some vortex manipulation going on very dirty way to time travel. Yeah so firstly I'm delighted to welcome writer and connoisseur of classic telly I think Hannah Cooper welcome to Type 40. 
Hello. I don't think I've ever been called a connoisseur before. I quite like it. You can use that on your on your blog. You're a blogger, aren't you? You blog about TV and movies of the past mostly, don't you? Yeah, but more so TV and 60s, 70s and 80s. You, but you stop at the 90s. You don't want to... It's a bit too recent as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Since they introduced the National Lottery on TV, I think British television started to go downhill from there, really. But you and I have spoken a little, haven't we, over social media mainly, about one other British sci-fi show in particular. And the reason why I wanted to invite you on is because in all that time, it struck me that I really have no idea what you think about Doctor Who. Not a clue. Classic or new. When you hear this, it'll be just as new to me, and hopefully that will spark conversation. That's how it'll be. Yeah. And lastly, last but not least, I've been waiting for the right show to tempt this man aboard the podcast proper. He's a regular panellist on our Type 40 live shows. There'll be more on that a little later. But he's an actor, a voice artist, and even better, he's great company, Kyle. Barnaby Jago, welcome to Type 40. Oh, thank you, Dan. No, thank you very much for having me on. No, it's great to be here. Now you're here. Now you're in the sort of the cloisters. What do you think of this desktop theme? Yeah, no, it's good. It's sort of like cosy. I quite like it. it Change, is... my dear, and it seems not a moment too soon. You've, you've said this before. He's done this before, I think, Carl. Well, we've got, yeah, there's four people, four people around a five-sided console, so there's plenty of elbow rooms, isn't there? Before we join battle with the Daleks, just time to remind you that each and every edition of this show, past, present, and future, is a tap or two away if you know where to look. There's details about all of that coming a little later on, as well as a trip to the, the matrix of all knowledge, that's the Fandom Podcast Network's HQ, to hear about all those other fabulous shows. Now, though, it's uh, time to set those controls for the still recent past, New Year's Day 2021, everybody, for our discussion and review of Revolution of the Daleks. Yes, last year, Doctor Who aired a 12th series since its miraculous rebirth, as reviewed here week by week on Type 40. That 10-episode run talked a good game, that it was going to be a promising uh, return to that recipe of thrills and spills for all the family and uh, fearsome foes from the show's long past. In actuality, what we, what we got was arguably the most divisive collection of stories, certainly that I can remember. Undercooked and overwrought, some would say, peppered with uh, misconceived takes on sensitive subjects. Ratings declined at an unprecedented rate, and I think they're leaving the fandom in a crater, really, not knowing what to make of it all. Uh, the real world has also been to hell and back since in the wake of a relentless international health crisis, which means that now, all these months on, we need our escapism more than ever. Could current showrunner and head writer Chris Chibnall deliver a late Christmas present to the devoted and the casual viewers alike? And in case you were hung over on New Year's Day or you haven't caught it yet, here's a reminder of uh, what happened in Revolution of the Daleks by Chris Chibnall. The Doctor is locked away in a high security alien prison, isolated and alone with no hope of escape. Far away on Earth, her best friends, Yaz, Ryan and Graham, have to pick up their lives without her. But it's not easy. Old habits die hard, especially when they discover disturbing plan forming. A plan which involves a Dalek. How can you fight a Dalek without the Doctor? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> 
does that bring the memories flooding back, everybody? I know it's just a few weeks. Unfortunately, yeah. Wait, is it memories or night night terrors? I can't. Yeah. I haven't made up my mind on that yet. <laughs> a lot can happen in a few weeks, but that sounds just the ticket, doesn't it, Hannah? Let's start with you. So all these months on, we, we get used now to these long gaps in between series or episodes of Doctor Who, don't we? Was this the start to the new year and a palate cleanse that you wanted? Not entirely. It's felt a very long gap, partly just because last year has felt very long for us. Yeah. Um, I think I was expecting something to pack a bit more of a punch for a special. The whole thing about it being on a bank holiday as well. We British, we do love a bank, a bank holiday, don't we? And, you know, it, it was given a good slot, wasn't it? And 70 minutes runtime. That is officially, I think, that if you go anything above 65 minutes, it's officially classified as feature length. It was quite a, a thin story. But then again, a lot of blockbusters are, aren't they, Barnaby? You know, it's that part of the appeal. It's the visual. It needn't necessarily be a, a dense or complicated story. If you seize the day and deliver something that really has people on the edge of your seats, how close to the edge of your seat did you get? I was way, um, way at the back of my seat on this one. I re was rewatching it last night and had to go through quite a few Duvels, uh, Belgian beers, to go through to um, get through it again. It's just, I still don't know why they didn't put it on uh, Christmas Christmas Day because that was um, that that would surely be a bigger slot, wouldn't it? And I hear all sorts of different um, opinions for why they didn't do that. The ratings weren't that good for such a big slot that I had anyway. I mean, maybe people were sort of like tuning in to kind of like see. Um, see any kind of like resolution to the the timeless child kind of arc i mean for, for me it, it didn't do that and it didn't really have much of a a story to kind of like uh, keep me engaged really just lots and lots of questions i mean i've got pages and pages pages of notes of um things that just don't kind of make sense so and i would think for a feature length thing 71 minute uh episode 71. um yeah it, it probably should make some sense kyle they want this stuff to make sense. Have you heard this? <laughs> Don't you read the Chris Chibnall manual? The first thing is all episodes must be wibbly-wobbly. Leave it to Chibnall to write an episode that not only, of course, has the Chris Chibnall what the hell is going on aspect of it too, but to also kind of give a backslap to the fans and say, you remember when Doctor Who was good? This was a few of the elements that made it good. But I, And I know it, but I'm not going to use it. This episode to me was a mix of so much of... A good taste from the past. Why are we with this with the here and now? What the heck is going on in the future? And in one scene in particular, which I know we'll get into a little bit later, showing you just how lazy the writer's room of this current Doctor Who has been because they developed one character in a five-minute conversation more than they developed the character in an entire two seasons so far. I saw it as a, a parade of everything that's, that's lacking in Chris Chibnall's writing, the the characterization that that resistance to seize the day, to make good on the time slot that that you were talking about there, Barnaby, and that that sort of feature length hook, and how you said Hannah, all that time away, gives people time to miss the show, doesn't it? And yet I found that within five or ten minutes of watching this, I started to rem remember why last year's run and uh, the, that special two years ago, Resolution in particular, why I found that so insubstantial. So I think what we, what we have here is a version of the show that's incapable of uh, particularly evolving. Am I, am I being harsh there, Hannah? 
Well, I say I did enjoy the last series, and I've had I've had sort of a bit of a time away from Doctor Who, and then feeling I wasn't sure about it, and came back and really enjoyed last series. Okay. Um, I think Barnaby's thing about the uh, the ratings in that in terms of that week's ratings, it does seem to have done quite well yeah. uh, compared to other shows that were on. But for me, it's a down step from last series where I was enjoying things very much. And I'm not always fussed about having to make sense of every single little thing. If it's enjoyable, if I'm happy with the characters, I feel like I'm getting stuff out mm-hmm. of it. But I just felt like you've got to hit everything for like season finales and specials and really grab people. And it just didn't do it for me. I think that because Doctor Who, I say this quite a lot. I repeat myself a lot on this show, but I don't think anybody's noticed yet. <laughs> I think I think Doctor Who is uh, as much about moments as it is about the craft of storytelling. And, and when I look back on shows from the past, you know, stretching right the way back through my childhood, it's often the little moments that I remember most fondly and sometimes they're in stories which have got quite a lot of plot holes so I I do agree with you Hannah that it's not sort of the end of the world not everything has to make sense and I'm I'm quite forgiving with Doctor Who but it's interesting that you felt that this was a step back from from last season because I hear a lot of people say that this is Chris Chibnall's best episode I think it was the one that probably looked the nicest and hit certain crowd pleasing beats but I, I thought this was a, a big downward step from Spyfall Part 1 which I, I felt was for the most part quite promising it did seem to have some sort of energy about it but here I did feel like it was almost sort of going through the motions and everybody seemed somewhat zapped of energy because they did record this I don't think it was quite in the same production block as uh, any of series 12, but it was only a matter of weeks later. So it's been in the can for well over a year. And what you were saying about this, Barnaby, of course, in the interim, usually Doctor Who has to fight for its place in the, in the schedule. But for the last couple of years, it has. Now we're in a situation where Doctor Who was one of the very few shows that filmed anything new for the Christmas and New Year period. And yet it's still, to me, that was a prime opportunity to put it right in the centre of Christmas Day. They didn't do it. Kyle, it's a slightly different kettle of fish, isn't it, on American TV over on BBC America. On New Year's Day, the, the slot, it doesn't mean quite so much to you guys, does it, Christmas TV? But was there a sense of occasion about this for you? They'd blown it here in the States because they had something special going when they were doing it on Christmas Day. A lot of people okay. were starting to take Doctor Who and making it part of their Christmas Christmas holiday. And when they moved it to New Year's... New Year's is just a weird holiday in the U.S., and obviously, especially this year with COVID and everything like that, it just it just existed in New Year's Day here. A lot of people, I honestly initially forgot about, um, I actually didn't even watch it till the next day on iTunes, because I had pre-purchased it on iTunes to add to my Doctor Who collection there, and that's how I watched it, so I could watch it without advertisements. Okay. But Doctor Who had become such a Christmas tradition, and a lot of people in the States here were very upset when they moved it to New Year's Day last year, and it just continued this year. And the the truth of the matter is, with the way things are here in the States with television and how streaming is really taking over in the last, basically since the COVID situation has started, streaming has really taken precedent here in the States. Terrestrial television, even regular cable channels, are getting lost in the shuffle. I see. And... It's, it's something big big time that's happening. I think it's really affecting certain channels. I do think BBC America has been one of the channels highly affected by this. The ratings on BBC America during the last series 
were even worse a decline, even steeper decline, sorry, than they had been over here. I'm happy to say that there was an increase on BBC America for this special again, but it's still nowhere near the kind of figures that the show used to get. And, and as you say, maybe it is passage of time and the fact that people have just been driven away. I, I, I don't know. I think it'll be a while before we get some firm answers on, on that. We start, don't we, with the Doctor in prison, which do, does it look a lot like Sharder to you, Barnaby? <laughs> maybe i mean uh for me i just get the whole sort of prison thing anyway i mean she was she was in prison for what was it 19 years without escaping something <laughs> like have... that something like that yeah <laughs> yeah because captain jackham refers to um and um, yeah i had to wait 19 years in order to get to the same cell opposite you so and also with those um marks she makes on the wall she's been there a long time a long time I, I just kept thinking throughout the entire thing, maybe if, if Moffat was in charge, maybe there'd be a little like a compilation or a montage of her trying to escape and then something happens to stop her. Yeah. And, and you could also argue the fact that she's, uh, she's sort of like lying down, you know, saying Harry Potter stories to herself, mostly because she's just so, you know, um, unsure about who she is anymore because the revelations of the timeless child. But I didn't really see much of that in her... Uh, well, this is her character where she's just lying down saying, hello, camera 37, camera 39. So I didn't really get any of that. So, yeah. It's a very sketchy character, isn't it? It's still not there. It's st- I mean, it's, for me, it still uh, doesn't feel like the Doctor even remotely. And this just hammers that home. I mean, some yeah, I would say, what is time to a Time Lord? A handful of heartbeats. I think that's a Colin Baker quote as well, isn't it? <laughs> a handful of heartbeats yeah. to a Time Lord. But it's not her, is it? It's the fact that there are people waiting for her. There are people to get back to. People she's got a bond with. And people as well. She doesn't necessarily know whether they're safe or not. I'm going to try not to refer back to too many other episodes when talking about this story, but it's next to impossible because it, obviously it pulls in, okay, Nick's from so many other episodes, but there's also other echoes of past stories and past situations in which you know, it doesn't come out of this comparison very favourably. I'm thinking particularly in this case of Heaven Sent. Oh, Let me see the, the Doctor over a period of, of thousands of years punching through that ice wall and here she's quite happy happily sat on her arm yeah. she, she doesn't seem conflicted at all no, it's just no. um she's lying down I and mean, maybe she's relying on her fan to uh come and help her but um, they they utterly fail to do that so uh <laughs> I, I, I don't really know what her plan was to eventually leave no i mean either yeah. i mean tv's worst copper a bus driver, comic relief, <laughs> and the other one, whatever he does. But ultimately, it does, ultimately it does take uh, Captain Jack to come to her rescue and break her out. Yeah, the returning John Barrowman. I think, I think he's missed Captain Jack. Yeah, and he, and he was positively bursting with energy. We're used yeah. to Jack bursting with energy, but John Barrowman, he, he couldn't wait to get started. He was chewing the scenery, spitting it back out again, and... God love him. He he was there one hundred and fifty percent, but of course by having Jack essentially get himself into prison to break her out, it does mean that this sort of representation, this character, this female hero, is ultimately feeling a little bit redundant. Surely, Kyle, if she's got to rely on a man to break her out, I think they have used the oh I'm I'm a time lord and I can t- time travel back to the same spot I went to as a very weak crutch in the entire run of Jody. It's one thing oh, when they did the Capaldi episode, but I think they really used it as a crutch with, with jo- Jody's version of the Doctor. Oh, I can just get back to that same point in time, uh, doesn't matter how much yeah. time has passed. I, so I wanted to hit on that. As far as John Barrowman, 
there is such a him freeing the doctor, but in real life, in a way it almost felt, at least for this episode, him freeing Jody as the doctor. Because Jody working on screen with John Berman as the doctor and Jack Harkness, Jody felt more like the doctor in those scenes than I have ever seen her play the doctor. It felt like she had this increased energy. It, fe- it felt like John Berriman just pulled her aside and said, just work with me, go with me, we'll get you in the right place. Having him there, I think, helped her in those scenes, but the problem is as soon as he's out of the picture again, that energy is gone. I did notice that when she leaps, they sort of leap on one another and hug one another, that actually felt really real, and that felt kind of like Jodie Whittaker hugging John Barrowman as if to say, thank God you're here, help me find this character to latch onto that relationship that association and to be fair i think it kind of worked i'd found those scenes in the prison exactly as you described barnaby we've got you know numerous old monsters popping up and i like all that sort of stuff how how can i not it's only surface stuff isn't it when they start when they did break out of prison and uh, with one of jack's gadgets for me, that did feel like real Doctor Who, and they did manage to recapture that bond. Were you happy to see Captain Jack back, Hannah? Oh, yeah. Being someone who joined in 2005, I love having uh, Jack around. He is so instantly Jack again. I, I love that. And I don't know if I agree about the Doctor being sort of perfectly happy there on her own. Um, in prison. I feel this doctor looked more than others looked really lost without her companions and friends and having Jack signals that and it is a great burst of energy and it's the first big action piece we, we really have in, in the episode and I, I like that. Because it's very very silly isn't it it's, and it's very silly yeah. in in a Russell T Davies kind of way and I think because Chris Chibnall this isn't a character that he created but it's a character he knows very very well having been the showrunner and and writer of so many Torchwood episodes in the past I felt that he could sort of lean lean on that for a crutch and you know it was a a good crutch for the viewers too you know John Barrowman slips into that character effortlessly I think partly because he and Jack are pretty much one and the same you can forgive a lot, like with anniversary stories where they would bring old companions back. You can forgive a lot for that. Almost immediately, it kind of drops. I mean, I loved seeing Jack, for example, with the squareness gone. Little yes. little things like that. He's back with all the collars and cuffs, all the same gadgets, and a lot of the same jokes, Barnaby. <laughs> can I just say that um, it just uh, the scenes with her and Jack just proves that Jodie is not a bad actress because she just needs some kind of something to bounce off. She needs that energy. I mean, what a lot of you don't realize about like um, acting is that you do need someone, uh, uh, the person you're acting with, to kind of like be in the scene with you and just like give a bit of energy back. And I think Jodie's sort of been lacking that with her companions as well, with the fam. So when she's in the same scene with them, um, with Jack, that's when she's sort of like, you know, getting the energy up because John is, John is also giving to her. She's He's giving her his energy. He's giving her like, come on, this is a great show. We're excited. You know, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Look, look, I've got the gun, that kind of thing. And it's sort of like, it's building up her uh, confidence, building up the fact that, oh my God, this is fun again. Acting is fun again. So I personally think she's been been lacking that in a lot of episodes. And now you've said that, the only times where I've felt that Jodie Whittaker has managed to convey, not the Doctor, for me, she's not 
ever really been the Doctor since Rosa. I've not ca caught a glimmer of that. But the only times that I've felt that she has been present in the moment have been opposite people who, who are just as consummate as John Barrowman is. I'm thinking of the Alan Cummings in particular. You know, I thought that when he was in The Witchfinders, that that scene had a certain a certain reality and a certain energy about it. That yeah, you're right. She has got with with John Barrowman here. Looking at the cast, of course, Jodie Whittaker is the Doctor, as we've said, with uh, the returning John Barrowman as Captain Jack Harkness, but supported as ever by Mandit Gill as Yaz, Tosin Cole as Ryan, and Bradley Walsh as Graham. The sporting caster Nathan Stewart Jarrett, who some of you may remember from Misfits, the Channel Four sort of superhero culty show, and Utopia. He plays Leo, and RSC Stalwart, star of film and TV, Harriet Walter is Joe Patterson, and we've got Chris Noth also returning as the other Jack, Jack Robertson, who was in the uh, series eleven episode Arachnids in the UK. That set me on edge when they revealed that. Uh, Chris Noth, who I actually, I really quite like Chris Noth as an actor. I think he's, he's very entertaining. I think he's very animated and um, kind of like John Barrowman, really. He's just the right side of over the top. But when I heard that he was going to be in this, I started to cringe immediately. This seemed like it was Chris Chibnall reminding us, reminding the viewers, fans and, and the casuals, of things that we pretty much hated. The first time Arachnids in the UK was an absolute disaster. That was the moment really when the series ratings started to go off a cliff. You know, that was famously an episode that a lot of our American listeners have certainly had a major problem with. And one that I find when I speak to members of the public, they say that they stopped watching after after they saw that episode. Here they are bringing back the antagonist from it. But they also promised that in this episode we would get a return to the uh, the mental health issues storyline, which they, I wouldn't say they ran in series 12, which they kind of skirted around and dipped their toes into in a very sort of ineffectual way, which garnered an unprecedented level of complaints, if you remember, on the, the week that Can You Hear Me aired. You know, this is something I had a lot to say about it at the time. So did my co-host Sarah Graham. I was incensed by that, and I couldn't believe they were going to return to it for this. It was as if that Chris Chibnall wanted to remind us of all the things that had upset people the very, very most. In the end, I've, I don't think he covered the mental health angle at all, really. But we, I say, we did get Chris Noth, and you know what? I quite liked him in this. <laughs> I did. He was he was very entertaining. <laughs> I, I I really liked him. Just like his, his interactions with Leo as well when he first makes the Dalek is just like exactly how I react. Like, what have you done, you idiot? <laughs> We get rid of this now. Really, really funny. It was like a Lex Luthor with a henchman, wasn't it, Anna? I love it. Um, it's a bit difficult once you've got him and Jack together because you say they are very similar, and I feel it's it can it can feel a bit overdose. But separate, I think they um, they work um, very well. And he got all the best lines, I think. I think he probably did, or is it just? Just that he's one of the most experienced actors there, Kyle, one of the people there who's the most reliable. What do you think it was? I'm like you. When I first saw he was coming back for this episode, I had some major concerns. Obviously, because I've lived a real-life version of this character. <laughs> but what I, I actually thought he was it was a much improvement on the character in this episode because he they didn't focus on that comparison aspect as much. And I think they made the character a little bit more of his own thing and he made the character kind of that over-the-top maniacal fun which i think is something doctor who's been missing for a good while as well 
And again, this comes back to what I talked about. It's like it's like Chimnall was trying to say, I'm going to show you what I've done bad. I've shown you what we could do good, but in the end, I'm going to give you average. When, when it, all the people, <laughs> and that and and that's and that's the frustration because you have Berman who's amazing, you have Noth who's amazing. I agree with what Barnaby said too. Is that Jodie Whittaker? I think it's become even more and more obvious. But I don't know. If she is a lead that can carry a show on her own. She's got to have the right people to work off of. That's I think why she was so outstanding in Broadchurch because she was working with some amazing actors in Broadchurch. Yeah, she was, yeah. With this, like you said, when she's working with high quality actors or people she can really work with and bounce off of, it's a, you get a totally different performance out of her. I think we need to all kind of pull back and reassess how we've looked at her performances from the doctor from the start to now. many people in the universe get to meet the doctor, let alone travel with her? Being with the doctor, you don't get to choose when it stops, whether you leave her or she leaves you. The doc would really want us to keep an eye on the planet, right? But how is that possible? If you don't help, the human race is going down. You with us? As of now, you will see new defense drones at work. These machines are going to change the world. Yo! Remember Rose? I'm Captain Jack Harkness, and I'm immortal. Are you feeling insecure? Because you seem to need a lot of praise. Do I? Prepare for maximum extermination. Not you guys. Don't move! Now, Jack! Stay strong. People waiting for you. We've been through this week by week by week and we've charted the entire era. And when you start to spot these similarities, after, you know, we're 22 episodes into this into this era now, you know, it's not unreasonable to expect her to know the character a little better and, and for this to all gel a little more. And, you know, somebody like Peter Capaldi, he inhabited his character so fully. He knew the Doctor psychologically. He was able to perform that role and make up for anything that was lacking in any of the scripts and really lift a lot of the material. And I don't know whether that's just the fact that he's a better actor or if it comes with a couple more decades of just doing the job. You know, it's not unreasonable to expect for somebody to be doing it longer. Of course, they're going to get better at it. But I did find that once once we had the, the prison breakout scene out of the way, I'm struggling to remember a single thing that the Doctor did or particularly said for the bulk of this episode. Hannah, what do you feel about that? The episode didn't turn out how I expected because I expected to see the Doctor in prison a lot longer and us exploring stuff more through the companions, seeing why they needed her. And a kind of Christmas invasion type thing where it yeah. comes to the rescue later on. Maybe they should have actually left her there for longer because when she actually does, she does meet up with them, it's within the first quarter of an hour, isn't it? And then yeah. nothing really happens. You've got essentially four companions for this episode. I really like classic series when you've got three companions, yeah, so but I. I think we expect a lot more from like the characters nowadays. And trying to do that, especially when we're in like 45 minute episodes, is, is quite hard. And you've got the, the, the four companions here, plus Robertson and Leo we're seeing quite a bit of and 
I think it's really hard to try and fit all of that in, especially when it's the final episode for Graham and Ryan and you want to give them a heftier chunk, really, which I don't think it quite manages to do in trying to balance everyone's roles. I mean, they, they don't give Bradley Walsh anything to do. He, he just looks like he wants to leave the entire time. He's just, count, he's just counting the seconds until he can find <laughs> TARDIS. Oh, but you, you say that, and yet I find it odd that right, like, right at the end when they are looking to leave, he's still quite like up for going to the Moran galaxy, and he hasn't thought about leaving at all, I don't think, until the moment that Ryan announces it. I think maybe I was just looking too much at sort of behind the eyes. I think I was thinking too much about the actor rather than the character because just certain moments, I mean, because Bradley is one of my favourite actors. I think he's brilliant. But um, I just think there was a slight downward turn in his just sort of like caring about the show personally. I mean, I, I, I could be wrong. This is only my own opinion. But um, there was just something kind of dead behind the eyes with him. I episode. think it was a slow, gradual thing because I noticed that as Series 12 went on, as we worked our way through that, I, I felt the actor was given less and less and less to say and do. And yeah, he seemed, as you described, you know, we've all we've all been there in certain jobs where you, it's clock watching. What, what time do I get off? When's the next job? I think this episode also has the problem that Graham is often the one providing the comedy and you don't need him there for any of that when you've got Jack and Robertson. <laughs> Yeah, good point. They split off the cast, didn't they? Notably pairing Captain Jack Harkness with uh, Mandip Gill's Yaz. Now, they played into this on some of the trailers, didn't they? The, the banter between the two of them, and they dropped them into a situation where they were walking through a laboratory full of Daleks, weren't they? Through uh, Daleks detached from outside of their casings and did that whole sort of um, alien Thing where they're leaping through the air and, and you, the threat of mind control, basically of, of uh, the sort of vampires. They've turned the Daleks into vampires like that, haven't they? That doesn't sit well with me at all. Maybe I'm a dinosaur about this, but up until the recent past, Daleks couldn't exist outside of their casings. And you go, okay, these things can evolve. But I don't know. I just think once you turn them into any sort of gelatinous alien from any one of a number of blockbuster movies the thing for example barnaby they become a little bit more mundane and although those sequences were nicely directed i think that lee haven jones in the absence of of the rachel talalays and the graham harpers lee haven jones is able to bring a certain amount of tension to mediocre material at best it's still not enough to lift it i think the way that they wanted us to feel it springs out of the special from two new years ago doesn't it called resolution where the remnants of a dalek of the reconnaissance dalek somehow get recovered on earth i can't really remember how that all went down so the remnants get recovered on earth they they make human daleks basically don't they to use us as a security force and it's all a, a riff, really, on Dalek Civil War kind of stories that we've that we've seen before. Of course, Doctor Who's been running a very, very long time, hasn't it, Barnaby? You expect a certain amount of repetition. And when we're talking about classic stories, it's maybe even more forgi forgivable because the mainstream audience, you know, a larger chunk of them, won't remember them or won't have seen them at all. And yet it's it all feels surface value again doesn't they he never seems to get under the skin 
of these concepts at all? Did it ring true for you, or did it just feel like an, another, another sort of sledgehammer way of getting politics into the show? <laughs> I thought first seeing the um, the trailer for Revolution that this would be more political than it, than it was because I was I was so used to the last series being more political than usual. And whether you agree with that, disagree with that. And of course, you see Number Ten Downing Street in the trailer, don't you? They play that up really heavily. Oh yeah, yeah, and also the um, the, the promotional shots of um, the police with the Dalek coming up and with the whole wave of um, protests and things that are really yeah. becoming like quite big right now. But this was this was filmed before that kind of like it happened. was, yeah. Uh, so, I, but I was thinking maybe they try and put it that kind of way, and, and they didn't. I think this one was less political than other ones have been. You could stick an old bit of politics in there. That's that's, that's fine by me as long as it's not tilling the nose. But it didn't really interfere with the with the Daleks at all. I mean, when we talk about canon whether or not the daleks can exist outside of their sh shells i think there were a couple of hartnell episodes where they were outside of their shells crawling about and uh charlton yeah. ones which is which was fine i mean canon is so um fluid in doctor who that i mean who really sort of cares anymore i mean the whole cyber conversion process for me was somewhat ruined with um, the age of steel because they because the creepiest thing about cyber conversion for me was that they never really explained it and they just showed i think it was attack of the cybermen with Lytton. You know, just like kill me, yeah. Kill me, and he's got like blood and just like bits of cybernetics in him, looking a bit like a Borg. And that that was that was creepy as hell. But when they explained in uh, the Age of Steel, oh, they just chop off the head and you know stick the brain in a suit of armor. I'm like, oh, is that it? I used to have nightmares about cyber conversion as a kid. Listening to the moon base, you know, things like that. As this plot went along, there was lots of as as you say moments where, because in horror movies and adventure stories generally, as an audience member. We like those moments, I think, don't we, Kyle? Where we say to whoever's on screen, no, don't open that, don't put that in there. And I think that Chris Chibnall, he was trying to give us scenes like that. There's a scene where the character of Leo goes to put a Dalek in an incinerator. There was some tension in that. I mean, I wouldn't have taken it out of the box, you know, why yeah. you just put the whole box in? <laughs> the, the issue here was this story was up and down. It was all over the map, and there's moments that you got really excited about, and there was, and then there were moments you were just like, hey, "Yeah, can I take a nap in between here?" You talk about you talk about those moments like the, what I'll call as a jump moment, where you're scared, you're concerned about the character. Problem one, you have to have caring of the character that's involved before you can actually have a jump moment. And there's a couple of points where it's like, "Okay, it's Yaz. Do I care?" You talk about Leo, and what what. What takes you out of that moment is the lack of common sense Leo uses. Why are you taking it out of the box? Why, why wouldn't you, though? It's very easy for us to, to um, um, say this when we know Daleks, we know what they are. To him, it's just a creature he's grown and he's fascinated by. It's his little pet, almost, that he's come to care about. And he's really um, sad, I think, to be having to let it go. It's easy when you're watching the horror movie to tell people not to do it. But I don't think there's any reason for him not to there. Even most people, just general common sense is, we have some kind of alien DNA here or something, a biological threat. And with everybody's heightened sense of biological right now, <laughs> I'm just, uh, even if you're growing it and stuff like that, and I get what you're saying too, because I, emotion took over. Common, common sense went out the window, and that can be what happens. But in, in this case, when we've already seen a threat kind of established that this thing is not exactly safe, there's something about that didn't ring right. But again, the, the issues I had with this episode is like, one minute we have this really like very interesting moment and then you have something that happens and takes you completely out, 
completely out of again. There's just just no consistency. You know, you talk about the Daleks being like vampire-like and stuff like. I can even go with that because we are talking about kind of an altered Dalek DNA yeah. anyway from the reconnaissance yeah. Dalek, and obviously we get that addressed later in this episode. That worked for me. I, I can I can roll with that. Okay. You you got to be able to adjust on the fly. Yes, it's is it weird for me to see a Dalek running around and scurrying and taking control of people? Yeah. It, but again, you you at least have an explanation for it. It's not just oh, this is a basic Dalek and it's all of a sudden doing this without explanation. I think I think the bigger thing here is how they split everybody off together between Chris Noth, uh, John Berman, and even Jody to an extent. Extent they kind of just cover up everybody else in this episode. They they blanket over it, and when this episode should have had more of the focus on the companions. Than it did, and the the companions. I almost want to say became not even secondary, but third or fourth on the priority list. It's happened it was so, so often in this era, time after time during during series twelve in particular. Now you mentioned there, Hannah, about the the character of the thirteenth Doctor was seeming lost without a, without her companions, and yet you know, in series twelve they separated her from them or at every single opportunity and had a, often talking to herself rather than actually having a talking to these people who were all around her. What interested me was the fact that she'd been away all that time. That, the potential to have done interesting things with the characters in, I think it was 10 months for the companions, wasn't it Barnaby? Was it around 10 months that she'd been away? I think about 10 months for them, yeah. So the potential to do something interesting with them in that time was there. It's, it's like everybody's just been sort of twiddling their thumbs the way that viewers would have been. It just all feel it all feels like a parade of missed opportunities, story-wise and character-wise, to the point where I think that how on earth is Chris Chibnall, a lead writer, let alone a showrunner, on a show of this high profile and this exposing of a writer. Who was, it that, who was it that said that Doctor Who is the show that finds you out as a writer, whether you're any good or not? Was it Stephen Moffat? It was one of the, and that it eats story. And it, it really, really does. But he's, Chris Chibnall's been writing for Doctor Who for years and years and years, albeit on other people's watches. He's ran shows before. What is it about this series, which he's been involved with and been a fan of for decades, doesn't seem to have any grasp of how to inject a story with any tension, any flavour, and to really take us anywhere. Kyle? I'm starting to think Christian Miller's writing scared. He's writing to please, try and please certain dynamics, but in the process, he's lost his own writing voice. The more time that has passed with this run on Doctor Who, and I go back and watch old episodes of Torchwood he wrote, and things like that, you can see it's it's like it's a it's a different person. I'm starting to feel like there, there's people are fully able to talk if they ever are given it because we know how the BBC has been in re, especially in recent years. Yeah, I think there's a lot of string pulling going on from the top down. And again, I think Chibnall too. I, I wouldn't be surprised if word comes out he's getting pulled in about 18 different directions here. Again, I'm not using that as an excuse for him for how he's writing the show, but I think it's also affected the actors' performances because I think he's got them so blanketed that they can't really perform the way they want to with these characters. Kyle, they trust him 100%, and to be fair, that is exactly how, how you should be as an actor, is it not, Barnaby? That's the impression I got. You should have faith in what's on the page. 
the the script is gospel. You you take that thing on and you just I mean it's it's very hard nowadays to do a Tom Baker and just suddenly go like so the director can, can we just do it this way? Do that and the director's like yeah okay 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 Tom yeah you, you just do you just. But I was gonna say on the flip side though a good director is also going to let his cast have the ability to stretch their legs a little bit as well and I don't think that's being allowed. I think the perfect example of this is something I talked about at the top of the show. Let's talk about Ryan real quick because they developed that character in five minutes more than they did in the entire run of the series. Oh. It's incredible he has that. missed opportunity. Yeah. Wilson Cole put in a, his best performance on the series in this episode. Did he? He actually showed a wide range of emotion. Did he? he? D- Dull surprise. I'll go with it. I'll oh, go, no. go on, carry on, Cole. Go, go with it. Go with no. it. Because that, that scene he had with Jodie Whittaker yeah. When he's has that conversation with her, and the fact that he kind of stands, even almost in a way, stands up to her, is more character growth from Ryan than we've seen since the, the series began. In that, with, in that one scene, in it. this is the kind of potential this character had, even when, we, and we saw that even in the first few couple of episodes, and then he just became forgot about. And I think it's the biggest problem with these companions; they become forgot about. The Doctor's gone ten months. Yaz becomes conspiracy theorist. I don't think they ever knew what to do with these companions. They, there was never any direction for them. I, I'm going to be honest with you. At the end of this episode, I think Chibnall, he planted a seed where he could now relaunch Torchwood. There was more people talking about that, the prospects for that, than they were about the contents of the actual episode. But yeah, when I, when I look back at that scene with Ryan, I mean, I've been watching this. I've been willing Toasting Coal success now for how long? Two and a half years in this role, I was excited by the fact that he'd been cast. Actually, him and, and Mandip Gill, two actors I'd never seen before in anything at all. They came with no baggage whatsoever. In a way that Doctor Who has done plenty of times for, for me in the past, I'm thinking particularly of Arthur Darvill and, and Karen Gillan. Mandip Gill has never let go. She's never stopped trying to work with this material. She's never not looked hungry to do good work. I think Tosin Cole gave up a long, long, long time ago. The last time I can remember him seeming remotely present was probably The Witchfinders, and before then, probably episode one. And I agree with you in that in that scene, Kyle, towards towards the end, in that last third where he's with the Doctor, we, we see him act. <laughs> I'm not, I don't think it was particularly good, but it's kind of like, as Barnaby was saying, you, you're aware they're in the same scene. You're aware there's two characters communicating on some level, at least in a show that, in, in my view, that's in the kind of state that this is at present. That's a real novelty. That really is. It feels like uh, an oasis in a desert, almost. Those scenes, I think we saw some pictures of this. Mandip Gilsyaz in that second TARDIS with all the papers taped up along the wall, so as, as if she sort of tracking movements and working out where she can possibly find or get to the doctor it was just an establishing scene they don't really do anything with with that either i thought that when they paired mandip with uh, john barrowman it was interesting and and you could see there they had a prime example there of why i've always thought that mandip gill has potential in this part when she was opposite john barrowman and she was getting that exchange of energy that you were talking about again you could feel them both rallying one another to inject some personality and some fun, some winsomeness 
into proceedings that they were thinking of the viewer and wanted to carry us along with it. But as you said, Carl, because the script, it's so workmanlike, the magic never manifests and it's just lists of scenes. Okay, that's done, that's done, that's done, that's done, working their way through. And, and as a writer, as a creative, I don't think Chris Chibnall is remotely alive or interested really in doing anything other than shocking the viewers. The only times I can think of when his content has made me feel anything at all, positive or negative, has been when he's, tr- when he's set out deliberately to shock me, to shock me in my fandom, or to shock me with in some sort of big plot twist that he thinks we're not expecting, like the reveal that, oh, it's the master. We don't get any of this in the episode. Have you got any other positives about this, Hannah? <laughs> um. I was just going to continue on this vein of missed opportunities. Um, I feel when Ryan, we come to Ryan's reasons for leaving, they haven't been established in ways they could have. I feel the moment when he and Graham come and see Yaz, show her the Daleks, they should have been trying to get her and she's too busy with the Doctor. We see her more as the one, she needs the Doctor, that's what she cares about. She's not really fussed about staying on Earth. Whereas by the end of the episode, Ryan says he wants to help his friends. His journey should be that he's found a purpose for himself on Earth. But we haven't seen that. It, we see it yeah. in the final scene with him and Graham, you know, preparing off to look at gravel monsters. But that feels like the first <laughs> indication of this. And I feel like we needed to have scenes of Ryan meeting up with his dad, you know, supporting his friends, of... It it shouldn't have been Yaz getting the newspaper clippings together. It should have been Graham and Ryan as the ones. That's exactly what I've been thinking. And when I look back to series 12, we're talking about Ryan's character development. There There was a few moments in one episode of that in particular where Ryan was going home to ch- just to check up on a mate. It was in Can You yeah. Hear Me, wasn't it? Yeah. And, th- and, and those scenes, I hated that episode. I categorically hated it. But those scenes I thought were quite nice to do because there was a reality to it. And it showed yeah. a side to Ryan. He viewed as, as a duty of care this greater sense of social responsibility as well that had been grown by his time away. And, and this sort of appreciation of the people who'd been there for him. And this is why I'd come to exactly the same conclusion, Hannah, that it was Ryan that should have been pinning up bits of paper all over the TARDIS and, and tracking the Doctor, because you'd got this sense that he was loyal in that respect, but he has this desire before he can move on, this desire, this need to see everything back where it should be. The Doctor the back con- in her TARDIS and all's right with the world. I'm quite curious to see what happens with Yaz next. Yeah. I'm quite interested in that she does seem to now be, you know, very loyal to the Doctor. She has no interest at all of, of staying around for things on Earth, wants to go off and do adventures. But there's one moment that I'd be curious to see if anything comes of it when we're hearing a, a Jack's backstory and he mentions Rose and, oh, she's trapped in a parallel universe now. It's Yaz's sudden what? Yeah. And in that moment, I realised... Yaz has never thought that the way things end with the Doctor could be anything but good. She has not thought about the fact before that the Doctor might leave them and never come back. And it is just fun adventures for her still, I think. I'd be quite curious to see where that goes with her, whether she does start to realise that, 
you you don't come back the same from traveling with the doctor and that's not necessarily going to be a good thing in the way it has been for ryan's sake and i like the fact that the doctor didn't even flicker she didn't react at all to that it's it's uh, a lot of people i understand were upset by that that it didn't register but i think it's it's true to the character that all these centuries on that it's, she probably heard every single word but didn't react what do you think about that barnaby it is it is high time that we left rose alone isn't it yes uh i mean i i really liked the um, character of rose when she was on but um we can sort of, you know, leave that to the side. And there have been moments where the, the doc, uh, characters have left the TARDIS and the Doctor has had, like, just one sort of brief moment and then he just, you know, uh, moves on, that kind of thing. So um, I wasn't too bothered about any kind of, like, big thing about no. Rose or something like that. I mean, there was there was enough um, we, we need to carry on with the story. Unfortunately, they didn't, but, you know. <laughs> I think it comes back to, like, I felt that the Doctor needs to have the conversation with Yaz of, uh, you can spend the rest of your life with me, but I can't spend the rest of my life with you. Um, it, yeah. it felt like kind of that. She's yeah, moved moved on from that. And I was and I was curious about that they shoved in. It felt to me a bit expositionally at that little speech of Jack's. But I'm kind of then forgetting how long it's been since Jack's been in the show properly. And if you're you know eight to twelve years old watching this you know casually and you're not going back and watching it and, and everything you've got no idea who jack or any of this is and so yeah. it does it does need to get sort of thrown in like right that's it crack on when i think about that scene in particular with, with yaz that we've just spoken about and where the character could go from here again just just as i was just saying there we were talking about about ryan and perhaps they should have flipped roles like that. If they had have flipped it, I think it would have been more interesting rather than have Yaz. I'm not saying that she shouldn't have missed the Doctor, but I think that the character with her civic civic duty, what would have been truer to her is if she had have returned to the police force during those 10 months and channeled that rather than sitting around like some sort of lovesick schoolgirl with a crush on teacher if she'd have channeled that into something positive and during those 10 months off screen see because chris chibnall cannot develop these characters even ones that he has created imagined himself he cannot develop them this could have really helped him out of a spot he could have had 10 months worth of character development happen with yaz off screen there to the point where she thought, okay, the, off screen, she's got to a place where she's decided that perhaps she won't ever see the doctor again, but she's determined to put her experiences to her advantage and to and to channel it into her work. But instead, we get her just sat around and, and the sort of disintegration, really, of what was only a rudimentary character in the first place. Kyle, am I being too harsh? You're not being harsh, but there is something here that I think is very interesting and I wonder if Chibnall even sees it. You have the potential to finally do a storyline where the companion just goes off the rails. You could have the whole yeah. obsession with the Doctor. You could have somebody who just absolutely refuses to leave the Doctor's side. Somebody who is just, they've gone too deep in it. I, I can't ever remember a time where somebody's done that, where somebody's they've crossed it where the companion's just gone too deep into it. Especially a, a long-established companion, hitting season three with Yaz. I, I think there's a potential there for a very interesting storyline with with this. Honestly, I don't have faith that Chibnall even sees that right now, but it could be one of the more intriguing storylines we've seen in Doctor Who in any incarnation in a very long time. Unfortunately, I don't think, one, 
they have the courage to go there. And two, again, I don't trust in Chimnal even seeing what he is unintentionally set up here. I think I think I agree with your um, your view on the writing, actually, Carl. I think he's just he's just trying to be so safe because he's under a microscope and things like that. And uh, yeah, that that would have been an amazing uh, thing for a companion to go through. But again, that would have been entertaining. <laughs> 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 it's uh, time for a quick break now. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, is a Spacebook production for the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network. It's a galaxy of entertainment not that far away, and we'd be letting you down if we didn't fill your ears with talk of all those other shows on that network. Here's a few words about all of that, then uh, meet us all back here for more talk about the latest Doctor Who special. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to the Fandom Podcast Network and all of the other awesome shows we have to offer. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, our weekly pop culture news podcast. Blood of Kings, our Highlander podcast. Couch Potato Theater, our podcast celebrating our favorite movies. Time Warp. The Fandom Flashback Podcast, discussing a year in movies and our favorite pop culture topics. Enzo, the NFL Podcast. Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock Podcast. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville Podcast. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s Rock Metal Podcast. Type 40, our Doctor Who Podcast. Lethal Mullet, a 1980s and 90s action film podcast. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars Podcast. And our newest show, Making Treks, a new Star Trek podcast with a deep dive into the final frontier with host Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. You can enjoy all of these great Fandom Podcast Network shows on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. Fandom Podcast Network is also on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Facebook under Fandom Podcast Network. You can also email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter under Fandom Podcast Network. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there. Now let us clothe you too. Head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll find a store full of the team colours for all those shows on T-shirts, hats, mugs, and a TARDIS full of other items. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the network continuing to fill your ears with 100% fabulous fandom goodness. Daleks, everybody. Pepper pot Daleks this time, not gelatinous Daleks. Here we get more Daleks than we've seen on screen for years. And uh, yeah, I think Chris Chibnall, yet again, he uh, he's able to have his cake and eat it, really. He gets to trial introducing a shiny new take on the Daleks' outer casings. But of course, his predecessor tried that too, and it didn't go that well, did he? So <laughs> he's able to have the golden ones, the bling Daleks, show up too. Now, two Dalek factions swarming the screen. This is the kind of Doctor Who fair that I have been crying out for 
over a Christmas stroke New Year holiday episode for well over 10 years. You know, at the height of the Doctor Who character options figure range, where people were getting them for Christmas and playing with them on the carpet. You know, my kids used to do that. Oh, used, I used to do that. <laughs> we all used I still to do that. that. The <laughs> fact that they hadn't put that on screen at the same time on Christmas Day just blew my mind. Better late than never, never one could say. So, yes, the, the Bling Daleks are back in full force. And I thought that Lee Haven Jones really did some interesting things with these characters in this story because the Daleks are characters, aren't they? I think that uh, we can sometimes forget that. We forget how conniving they are. We forget how amusing they can be. And we can forget when they're conveyed properly how those sort of uh, really quite ridiculous shells can still scare people they can scare adults as well as kids there's some nice little touches in this but what i what i think i liked the most was the revamp of the dalek ship the jo the dalek death squad we got the a whole new look to the to the uh, control room it looked a bit like a submarine i thought it did remind me again of better stories past but the bling daleks all that nostalgia did it bring any of that kind of blockbuster quality back to it for you at all, Barnaby? Were you able to sort of be stoked by it? I wasn't stoked by it, annoyingly, but I, but I should have been, because it was almost like a um, uh, remembrance of the Daleks kind of thing, two Dalek factions fighting against each other. I mean, that's fun. That's a really fun thing it's to fun. do. And I, I also really enjoy, uh, I mean, this is one of the reasons I think Chris Knopf, the guy who played um, Jack Robinson, is that his name? Chris Knopf? Yeah. yeah. When he, I, I always enjoy when some idiot thinks he can self kind of like work with the Daleks and just sort of like because that, that's entertaining to see. Like I'm on your side, I want to help you. So I, I, I was, I was, I was entertained by that. I think it kind of, I suppose, in relation to the rest of the episode, it kind of went uphill for me when that was going on. When you know we had a bit of you know a few Daleks flying around just um, killing people, mm. but. I just, I still, th maybe, I, I just still think back of Remembrance and think Remembrance just was just Respect more it. fun. There was just a lot more, I mean, different Daleks, you know, lots of blowing up, lots of, oh, you know, Sophie Aldred running around, you know, jumping and that kind of thing. That's that's something that doesn't really seem to happen uh, very well. Lots of, you know, running about and <laughs> and just like jumping on top of things and diving out of the way of explosions. That doesn't really seem to be much of that. It's, it's so, like we were saying earlier, like Hannah was talking about, it's, there's just no moments in there. No. I think that the story, one of the things that I disliked about this, considering it was over 70 minutes, is that it was so predictable. Everything I thought was going to happen happened pretty much on cue when I, when I thought it was going to happen. So if I'd, if I'd had some of those moments, like we were talking about earlier on, I'd, I'd think I'd have a bit more generosity towards this. If, if something memorable had have happened, something out of character would have happened, or just something big and silly, like the like the bubble the, we were talking about earlier on in the episode, right at the start, breaking out of prison with that bubble, that was visually interesting. That was memorable. That had a certain amount of energy and imagination. Oh, it would have been a brilliant part to bring back the um, heavy weapons Dalek as well. Perfect time to kind of like do that, you know? I mean, maybe an updated version of it, and it would have been uh, that. That would have actually, I would have got more out of the uh, episode if they just done that. I mean, just a bit of creativity. I think I'm looking for Kyle. When I when when this happened, I just felt like, wait a minute, we've done this before. The Doctor manipulating two different types of Daleks to go at each other. It's, so again, that it didn't feel fresh to me, but you, it was cool to see all those Daleks and everything like that. But let's get back to the up and down because you have the high of seeing this incredible visual of all these Daleks. 
then you get back down to a low point where how the doctor chooses to dispose of the Daleks. Oh, we're going to throw them all into this extra TARDIS. This thing I revere more than anything else, just about. And blow it up and, and, and kill them all. And with no emotional regret for what she did to a TARDIS. And that just blew my mind and frustrated me beyond anything else more in this episode than that. You're talking about the, the Genesis arc moment, aren't you? Where all the Daleks yeah. get effectively sucked into a into a dummy TARDIS and then it gets blown up. Aren't TARDISes technically alive as well? Wasn't that yeah. like, you know, yeah. some form of murder on the, the, doc- well, on the well, side of the Doctor? I mean, the Doctor, more than anybody should know, let's talk, I mean, we have the amazing episode written by Neil Gaiman where the TARDIS is... So the Doctor should know more than anybody what he, she is doing here. And... There's, there's no emotional ramification to this at all. That's that's so out of character for the Doctor. It's it's, it's that's it's not out of terrible writing. It's not out of character for this Doctor, who is a coward and a moron. But when you see this <laughs> that scene there, it, it was a very very pretty scene where all the Daleks fly into the TARDIS, and I think that was kind of meant to be the money shot. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's the kind of scene, Hannah, that kids will have been if kids were in school <laughs> if kids had allowed to have been going back to school would they be sketching that scene in the back of their exercise book do you think it, they should the, the scene that got me excited was um and I, I i wasn't expecting it it was just seeing lots of brown's daleks on that dalek ship um, yeah, it was nice i had no problem myself seeing a tardis go but i feel like even when the doctor returned to her own tardis that we needed a little bit more love there um, there was a little bit, but yeah, I kind of I, I, I agree yeah. with, with, with the others. I don't think I'm as, as outraged as, as Kyle, but um, I, I feel like there should have been more of a moment. There should have just been even just a tiny moment of sadness and regret. Look, there is absolutely no other way. I have to do this. As if there was maybe a, a kinship between the TARDISes, if they'd have been... Because earlier on in the episode, yeah. doesn't the Doctor say something... When she, when she goes back to the TARDIS with Jack, she touches the TARDIS and says, my, my TARDIS. As, you know, yeah. it, really, it really brings that home just for a moment. And yet, as, as you say, that would have been a perfect time to sort of reconnect that and spend some of the minutes that they seem to spend sort of milling around that last 15 or so minutes... Yeah, to embed that, to have... I think, again, though, this is the thing. Chris Chibnall's priority was to sucker punch us into thinking, okay, that's that's the TARDIS rather than a TARDIS. But they've pulled those sort of switches so many times, it, it's got no real, no real dramatic power anymore. So what you're describing, Hannah, would actually have been uh, more nourishing because it, it would have made us feel that like the Doctor is torn in some way that she's weighing things up and that's another problem i have with this characterization of the doctor she's always so so certain so unwavering so condemning and never puts a bloody foot wrong i did i wonder if one of the reasons they had this solved was the idea that this spare tardis it feels like a loose end like we can't really just have a spare tardis lying around on earth graham and ryan popping in whenever they fancy it just feels too in too loose left over and so it became a way of getting rid of it and squatters would have been in in, in no time i think that <laughs> i think that uh, because obviously this episode was written at the same time as the others i think that it was just left over to provide a resolution to one of his one of his really quite anorexic storylines barnaby am i being really cynical there no i think you're exactly right come on wait it's- dan 
We we do have the flying diner in space still out there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, to be fair, I don't like that either. I don't like that. Either. <laughs> the production design actually on the Chris Chibnall era has been getting considerably better, and uh, yeah, I quite like the drone Daleks too. The the black ones they're getting a very bad press out there. But somebody I read somebody described them as looking like an angry gaming PC. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought I get I get that, and that, that is something that the human race would probably bang together. So that, I think it, when we hear that they're three D printed, I look at them and go, yeah, that's exactly what a three D printed Dalek yeah. should look like. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually quite cool with that but having said that kyle i'm not that bothered if i never see them again yeah it, it, it's funny when i look back at this era of doctor who as it stands right now it's one of the prettiest eras of doctor who i mean yeah. the cinematography on this era has been phenomenal it, it, it goes back to it's how much is it sacrificed to get that and you know um going back to the the tardis dish issue too again this is another storyline that could be set up for next season with with the fact that how callously and carelessly it seemed like the Doctor just destroyed this TARDIS, if the TARDISes are all kind of linked, you know, they Chibnall has not used the TARDIS well in his entire run. The TARDIS is almost a forgotten about yeah. side thing. When the TARDIS is almost just as much of a character as the Doctor or any of the companions itself, again, I just see writing opportunities that are there. It makes me sad because I don't see them going to be used. If the guy can't really show his own characters any love, his speaking part characters, how can we expect him to the TARDIS? We, we talked a little bit about the departure of Ryan and Graham in this story, but I just wanted to mention it too. I really do feel that these two characters were here only as contractual obligation. Bradley Walsh is another actor who you, know, you could say that he's a national treasure. I probably wouldn't go quite that far, but he is very, very popular and with good reason. I think he's a good, dependable actor with bags of personality. This is a character which felt, if not fleshed out, then, yeah, like somebody you could get talking to in a calf, the way that, the way that you could with somebody like Bill Potts, for example. I always thought that she was that kind of character. People who you could conceivably meet and although he doesn't get, he doesn't even get that one-to-one -one moment, I think that it is quite a nice, is it a nice moment? I think it's the way that Bradley Walsh communicates it, because there's not really that much on the page again, is there, Barnaby? There's not a great deal that he's given to say, but it's behind the eyes when he's weighing things up about, you know, okay, Ryan doesn't want to, doesn't want to continue traveling with the doctor, but I do. What do I do? Where do I go? There's, you see him process that behind the eyes, don't you? I just think last season, um, uh, Bradley Walsh would have conveyed that scene a lot better. I just, I don't know, I just wasn't getting any spark from him in that this particular episode. So there was, there's this stuff going on, there's, there's cogs turning, but I, I don't know, there's just no, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm just so used to actors and I'm just so used to, to acting. No, I think it I is. Just, I, think I just it can't is. see this. There. But uh, I, I just felt there was, there, there was stuff going on, but it just felt half-hearted, just for me. Personally. The word I keep thinking of is, disconnected and I think it's the problem with the entire production on this particular episode certainly and that everything that you've said Kyle about that up and down and I don't know how much of a say Lee Haven Jones had over had over things maybe things looked considerably worse on the page maybe it was even even baggier I don't know 
You're going to miss Bradley Walsh and Toast and Cole, Hannah. How do you feel about them leaving? I am going to miss time? Bradley Walsh. I, I agree with you that he. I really liked him in that final moment. And yeah, I get what you mean about them, him being someone you could reasonably chat to. I've liked Graham. I felt we've got to know and we've got to see a bit more of his personality. Whereas Ryan is naturally a quieter character, but we've needed more of those moments that bring him out more. I feel I, I, I can't miss him. We haven't really had enough from him. And I'd kind of feel similarly about Yaz if Yaz went at the moment, which is why I am hoping that with fewer companions that she has that more room to grow now. I would have forgiven Mandip Gill for because they they all reached the end of their contracts with with this recording block, and I can see why Tosin Cole leapt on any opportunity to go elsewhere. You know he's got a new HBO show starting next ah. next year. Is it later this year, Kyle, or next year? I think it was supposed to be late this year. It could still be, but welcome to the world of COVID. Things yeah. change on a on a hair's turn of when is something's going to become out. I wish him every success with that. And, of course, Bradley Walsh, he's got uh, the Darling Buds of May. He's the new pop larkin. You won't know about the Darling Buds of May, Hannah, will you? Because you, you don't do the 90s. I know of it. But uh, it was interesting you're on about, I think he is on his way to national treasure status. The chase gets enormous viewing figures. I'm really not keen on the chase. And I have family who watch it. And we talk about Doctor Who no longer having a Christmas Day slot. It's quite a sort of competitive time now for that early evening slot on the BBC. I, ITV have and BBC have relatively good viewing fingers and trying to put Doc 2 up against some of the stuff that's it's nothing that's to my taste it, it's all game shows reality shows, it's not slotting into that but it means I think Bradley Walsh is probably going to be on at Christmas um, again. <laughs> Hey, Dan, just real quick, um, for those of you who are interested, the new Toast and Cole show is actually an AMC show called 61st Street, which is also going to star Courtney B. Vance and um, is written by Peter Moffat, who wrote The Night Of for HBO. Do we know what the premise of it is? Um, it's, a, it's a legal drama. Um, Toast and Cole plays a young um, athlete who is getting ready to kind of go to his next level succeeding and gets pulled into something falsely and we're going to be seeing how he deals with this and it looks like Courtney B. Vance who's a very good actor in his own right is going to be playing his attorney in, in this process You tempted by that Barnaby? Mm, I love a legal drama but I'm afraid that um, what I've seen of Tosin Cole annoyingly is just it's just not been very entertaining but if this but I think that's to do with the direction in the show I think that's to do with the writing so if he's given a new show with a different bunch of writers and he's like you know inspired to do a, a brilliant part um yeah I will definitely watch it yeah best of luck to Tosin Cole and I'll certainly I like the original Darling Buds of May and I'm always interested in whatever Bradley Walsh is, is going to do next so I can see him becoming the new Bernard Cribbins <laughs> and I'd be happy with that I think he's going to come out of Doctor Who completely unscathed and go on to, yeah, more success in light entertainment and drama. It's not not going to be a problem for him at all. I have a question for the panel, too, because I talked about it a little earlier, and we, Dan, you even said a lot of people were talking about that after the episode. Yeah. A seed was planted to possibly open the door for a return of Torchwood, which you could involve Tosin Cole and Bradley Walsh in if they were willing to. If they said Chris Chibnall was probably nowhere near this project. And obviously, 
I think John Berriman's got Jack back in his blood and he he wants to do more. That was the last point that I wanted to get to because with all this going on, I kind of forgot about Jack entirely. And I don't think I was alone. I think Chris Chibnall forgot about Jack too. Because there's a moment in proceedings where Jack just vanishes Barnaby. But did you speak to the wall, speak to the thin air? Where's Jack gone? I think, yeah, they just completely forgot about him. And there's a bit where they go back to the TARDIS that they just dub in a line. I think there's just something coming over the radio and it's so obviously dubbed in at the last minute. Yeah. that I'm kind of going like, yeah, they just, they just forgot about him. Poor John. Unless they, unless they cut down things for time. But it just felt very latched on to the last minute because uh, Amanda Gill does say something back to him, but she's off camera. So it was, in Again. my opinion, I'm docked in. An afterthought. Yeah, I, that's the impression that I get. I mean, usually I'd, I would sort of conclude maybe a scene was cut maybe this maybe that but again this is Chris Chibnall we're talking about the piece is now off the board doesn't need it anymore it was all superficial in the first place we don't get a bookended scene between Jack and the Doctor at all which for me kind of takes away everything that those two actors did manage to establish in those prison breakout scenes and just leaves me feeling yet again underwhelmed. I thought it was really unfair on John Barrowman, an actor who is fiercely loyal to this show, this character. We know he loves to work. You like to earn a few quid, don't you, John? And God bless you, who doesn't? People like him. He's earned the dignity and the respect of being able to say goodbye. Because realistically, I suspect he could be back next year. <laughs> I think he'll be back sooner rather than later. But you never know, particularly in the in the world as it is at the moment, whether he'll be available, whether he'll be in the locked down in the right continent. He may not. Things can change. And every every sort of opportunity like that where a character does come back in the kind of way that that characters used to come back in anniversary specials and things like that. You know, it's if very sort of remember this person, remember they used to say things like this, they used to do things like that. Here are their gadgets, here are their one-liners. And so to just sort of push him out the back door, I think it's unforgivable, really. Torchwood season five, that's what you want, isn't it? Well, I know this. With John Berriman, because not only is he beloved over there, he is beloved here in the States. He oh, really? His run really? on Arrow really solidified him with American audiences. His presence at cons, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple conversations with John Berriman, and he's just absolutely wonderful. But come on, just give me Stephen Moffat, give me Alex Kingston, give me John Berriman. <laughs> Go do something, guys. Yeah. And I guarantee you it will get bigger ratings than anything Chibnall could do with Who right now. I'd be really curious to see a modern interpretation of Tortured, because it's been a long time since that was on, and i did prefer sort of the first two series of it. I think I was at quite a good age for it in that I was probably just about young enough to be watching Doctor Who and I was and from the other end only just about old enough to be watching Torture. <laughs> so for me, Tortured was the scary Doctor Who and it's something I haven't really sort of been back to as an adult. But even on my memories of it, I know it's it's of its time in the sense that anything is and they'd have to approach it very differently today. And I'd be really curious how they'd go about making it a success today. Revolution of the Daleks was watched by 4.69 million viewers overnight on BBC One HD with an AAI figure, that's the Audience Appreciation Index figure of 79. It does represent an increase on the last screened episode, the, the finale of series 12, which had sort of seen that the end of that 
really steep, consistent decline. I expected an uptick for this episode, it being on a public holiday. So it was around what I was expecting. And it does continue that drop of the holiday special. So it is lower than Spy 4 Part 1. It's making it, yeah, the lowest rated special of them all. So it's a, a bit of a mixed bag. And that AAI figure, that is below that all-important 80 mark, which is uh, very, very strange how they work those out. Each mark in that count counts for a huge amount. So the difference between 83, for example, and 80 is seen as massive. It's not looking great. We've got another nine or ten months before Doctor Who's back again. And obviously they're making that under challenging circumstances. And we wish the team at BBC Wales all the best for keeping it on time. And, and we hope they obviously stay safe. Revolution of the Daleks received a standalone DVD and Blu-ray release on the 25th of January 2021 in Region 2. And it's set to be out in Region 1. North America on the 2nd of March 2021, Kyle, on DVD and Blu-ray. And then on Region 4, it's also out in late March. That's Australia, isn't it? That's all those other territories gradually working its way to physical media for dinosaurs like myself. Here it is. I want you to score this episode for me. Out of five, what would you give it, Hannah? And yes, you are allowed half marks. Two and a half. Okay. Bang in the middle. What uh, warranted it that extra half? Why did you want the half votes to seal it right there? I enjoyed it. I feel overall it is a disconnected story and it has moments rather than large sections to enjoy. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed having M, M. Jack M. back. I enjoyed Robertson. Um, we haven't talked about Joe Patterson. I enjoyed her in um, Robertson's oh, yeah. scenes. There's a lot to enjoy. For me, it's an okay mid-season story rather than a finale or a special. That's one 2.5. How about you, Barnaby? What would you score this out of five? Out of five, uh, I would give it a <laughs> 0.5. Personally, for me, out of five. I, I agree with you that um, the best bits were with um, Science Minister, who became Prime Minister later on, and um, uh, Jack North. Those were brilliant bits. But moments with the Doctor, there are no moments which I will want to re-watch again, and the best parts were with um, uh, Jack Robertson, with um, the chap who played Leo, I think he was very good. It just didn't entertain me. And at the end of it all, I mean, I can weigh up all these different sort of um, uh, logical reasons for why, you know, I should like it or I shouldn't like it. But at the end of it all, it's just what it happened. That didn't have a spark that just made me go like, yeah, to the screen. It's, it's what's happening with me with The Expanse right now. I, it's been so long where I've, I, I love The Expanse. It's been so long since I've been watching something and going like, don't go in there, don't go in there. Oh yeah, look at those explosions and the ships are flying around and ah. <laughs> oh. And I should be feeling that with the Daleks flying around doing this, but I'm just being left cold. I feel bad that I haven't mentioned Harriet Walters' performance because I really like her. I've just, I'm slightly obsessed with The Crown at the moment. And I thought she was fantastic. <laughs> Everybody's fantastic in The Crown, but she plays yeah. Winston Churchill's wife, doesn't, doesn't she, in, in series one of The Crown. She's brilliant in that. I found her, she was good in the role that she'd got, but ultimately a part which was... I wouldn't even say a pantomime character, just oh, found it quite forgettable, really. So I don't think it was anything that she did or didn't do. It's just the same problem as the rest of it. I think it, a waste of a really good actress. It was Harriet Jones. It was Mark II, really, the later Harriet Jones, the nastier Harriet Jones. Just a version of that character. And I think that's why, that's why I've forgotten 
So yeah, sorry about that, Harriet. Obviously. <laughs> Kyle, what would you score this one out of five? It gets a point for John Berriman. It gets a point for Chris Noth. It gets a half a point for bringing back Bling Daleks. So I give it a two and a half out of five. And Barnaby is now one of my new favorite people because I absolutely love The Expanse. <laughs> oh, it's the best thing. The Expanse right now is the most intelligently written science fiction out there, period. If you have not checked out The Expanse, get on Amazon, check out The Expanse. It is, it is worth your time and investment. It, it is what Doctor Who used to be, intelligent science fiction. It made you sort of think, and The Expanse is doing that because there are all sorts of different themes. I would just like to ask, what is the theme with the current um, show that's really going on? And it seems to be a mangle of different kind of things that just blow in the wind. He hasn't got a take on the show. He hasn't got a take on the character. He doesn't really know what he wants to do with it, apart from annoy people. It's all that I can see. And throw baby after baby out with out with every drop of bathwater. But then that's just my opinion. I'd score this one a one out of five. I think that it did look very, very pretty. I was surprised by Chris Noth. And it's not often that this version of the show has surprised me. I like the fact that John Barrowman was back. I think that they wanted, at least wanted to entertain, and it didn't come together, but I can't realistically uh, raise it above that one. It's still painfully lacking. As regular listeners know, I didn't watch this one on New Year's Day. It's the first one that I haven't watched on broadcast, and I honestly don't feel that I missed out at all. Can we let the cat out of the bag about how long it was before you actually watched it, Dan? It was... It was I talked to you at least three weeks afterwards and you hadn't watched it yet. Yeah, I just <laughs> didn't care. It was the time as children. And something happened when they, when they destroyed the show's law like that. It's bad enough having to suffer this ridiculous take on the central character. But by going back through the history of the show and deliberately putting up two fingers like that and destroying the canon, I have no generosity left whatsoever towards this production team. And it takes... It takes every last drop of the lifelong fan in me to talk about the show even as positively as I've managed to in the last hour or so. I didn't know how I was going to be able to roll along with this story based on, on the Timeless Children. They didn't mention it very often. It was only very briefly. It was enough to just fracture any chance they'd got of, of me enjoying the experience at all. I am over the moon to hear that it's likely that Jodie Whittaker in particular is leaving and I'm just hoping that she holds the door for Chris Chibnall, the very, very worst showrunner on British, possibly world TV. That's that's my opinion. Other than that, I don't care. <laughs> oh, there's the old girl again. No, that wasn't a burp, everybody. That was the time rotor kicking in and calling time on another Type 40. I'll be back with another edition Okay, for that, wherever you found this, it could have been on the brand new Type 40 podcast feed hosted at type40.podbean.com by popular demand, our very own feed. Now we're even easier to find. Search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, the Podbean app. And don't forget on YouTube too, the world's largest streaming platform. We're still on the Fandom Podcast Network's incredible master feed, of course, with all those other great shows. Get in touch through our social medias, Instagram and Twitter at Type40DoctorWho. Email us, Type40DoctorWho at gmail.com. And finally, if you're feeling particularly brave and fancy some real-time, extra-dimensional chit-chat, step into the Type40 Facebook group. 
Hannah, where can people hear or read more of you? Drop us some links. Uh, you can read my blogs at backintimefortv.co.uk or visualmutterings.com. And you can find me on Twitter as Mrs. Simon Templar. <laughs> Barnaby, what have you got coming up? And what's out there that people can stream or play featuring you? I've just started a um, YouTube channel where I'm reading um, audiobooks, but I've also uh, finished my first uh, audiobook. Uh, it is On Mournful Winds, a Warhammer 40k uh, novel uh, written by Simon Spurrier, one of my favourite writers. He's a fantastic writer. And that's um, available on my YouTube channel. If you just type Barnaby, it comes up. That's one thing, and there'll be more uh, audiobooks incoming. So like and subscribe, yo. Carl, where can people find you on social media? Well, obviously, I'll have the Master P for the Phantom Podcast Network at fpnet.podbean.com. You can also find me on social media on Twitter at akylw or on Instagram at akylphantom. Of course, a big thing going on at the Phantom Podcast Network right now, which Dan has already partaken in, we have launched a new show, True Believers, a MCU podcast where right now we are covering everything that is probably the biggest surprise show I have seen in a while that is WandaVision. It is it started off in one way and it's taken a direction that is absolutely fabulous. We're till we talk not only WandaVision but we're going to dive into everything that is the MCU including the upcoming future Disney Plus series when we're going to take a look back even to some stuff that existed before the MCU. Um you know, we could be taking the Hulk walk of, walk of sadness at some point. Don't miss True Believers. It's a really great show fronted by Kyle here and Kevin Reitzel and you can find me I'm scattered across all of space and time though mostly on Twitter and Instagram as the Spacebook where I'm wheezing and groaning and posting about whatever catches my eye my imagination or both in popular culture inside and outside of the TARDIS there's links to all of that from everybody here in our show notes we uh, always have the time if you have the space here on Type 40 take care stay safe bye bye A Doctor Who podcast is a space book production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.